Well, it is so good to be back. And I was told by um, the Germans to uh, just uh, remind you guys that this is no longer home. Aber ich bringe Grüße von der Kirchenbewegung in Flensburg, Deutschland. Und wir beten für dich und für deine Pastoren. So, we bring greetings from uh, Flensburg in Germany uh, and assure you that we pray for you and for your pastors. Um, and don't be too impressed by that, please, because I, I memorize certain things that I have to say on a regular basis. <laughs> oh, it's so good to be here. Let's just have a quick um, commitment of this to the Father. Father, thank you that you are our Father. And I, I ask you this morning, Holy Spirit, um, to just continue to work on everyone's hearts, to soften us uh, so that we can hear your Father heart for us uh, and respond in whatever way that you want us to so that we uh, take you more deeply into, our, into ourselves, that our identity is firmly based in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to get right into it. I am going to um, read a fair bit of scripture. Uh, one whole chapter this morning, actually. So uh, from the, the Passion Translation, which is a wonderful translation. In Luke, starting in uh, Luke chapter 15, if you want to follow along back there, guys. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far off land where he soon wasted all that he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to, to help him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs, because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing, and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want, with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here, dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back to my father's house. I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your servants. So the young son sent off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed like a beggar. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son, who was returning home. And so the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. The son said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. But the father interrupted and said, Son, you're home. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. 
bring out the best shoes that you can find for my son. Let us prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he is alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found, and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Now there was an older son who was out working in the field when his brother returned, and as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and asked, what's going on? And the servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home. Your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out to him and pleaded, come, enjoy the feast with us. But the son said, father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you have asked as a faithful son? Never once have I disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. The father said, my son, you are always with me by my side. Everything that I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us again. Two sons, two completely different identities. Two completely different ideas of who they are as sons and of who their father is to them as sons. The younger son decides that the life that he has lived, this life of privilege, this life of maybe indulgence to some degree, he's the younger son, so the pressure is not on him in the same way it is to the firstborn. He is not going to inherit in the same way that the firstborn is. So he was probably more carefree of spirit and attitude. And he just decides, this identity, this version of myself, can't be all there is. I want to find out if there's something better than this, if there's something more than this. Having grown up in an environment where everything was always provided for him, I have a feeling that he was uh, hugely naive about the world. <laughs> I know that we, as uh, certainly with students, I see this happen all the time. Uh, we'd have all these wonderful students come to university and they'd come to Kesset on campus in their first couple of weeks of class and we'd be talking about their home life. So many, especially our African students, grow up in church. You, church has been your whole world, your whole life. And, and there's a certain thing that you take for granted in terms of, of this is who my family is, this is who we are, I know God and, and so on. But the moment they get away from home, they want to uh, stretch and get out from under the influences that they grew up with. They want to do things uh, outside of their mother's watchful eyes. And I have the feeling this younger son was thinking the same thing. Uh, there must be something better out there for me. And his father, who loved him, honored the fact that he had a free will. He didn't try to force his will and say, no, no, this is who you are. He said, okay, I'll give you what you ask for. I'll give you the right to choose. I love you. And his son went off. 
to, to find himself, to discover his identity. Now, of course, we know what happened. We've just read what happened. He lived the high life for a bit. He experienced things that he probably had never experienced at home, certainly uh, hanging out with prostitutes and everything else that comes with that was not something he would have experienced at home. But was it better? It was different. It was something he hadn't seen before. But was that his identity? The interesting thing, if you look in um, the Amplified Version of the Bible in verse 16, when it talks about him being tempted to eat the pig slop, it says in the Amplified, but it would not satisfy his hunger. It would not satisfy his hunger. We go through stages often in life when we are, we, we, we're Christians, we know who God is, we know who the Father is, but we are tempted to try other things out. And God gives us the, the right to do that. He doesn't stand in our way, as happened with this younger son. But it will never satisfy. It will never satisfy. Your identity is not something that you can look for outside of God. It was imprinted on you on the moment that you were conceived. Even before then, God knew who you were, and he said, this is who you are. But he's not going to try to force you. He'll allow you the choice to go out and seek, but it's never going to satisfy. It's never going to satisfy. There's a great story that uh, Bill Johnson tells, and um, uh, for those of you who don't know him, he's a, a pastor in the United States with Bethel Church. And he has three grown sons uh, who all are married and have kids of their own. And uh, he talks about how they went out hunting, which he really loves to do. And uh, they went shopping for uh, camouflage clothing and had a great time in the store. And uh, when he got to the counter to pay for his stuff, um, his son Brian, who many of you will know from his, his music and so on, his son Brian looks over at his brothers and says, watch this, and takes his pile of clothes and walks up to his dad and stands beside him and kind of looks at his dad. And Bill says, oh, yeah, hey, why don't you just put this with mine? I'll pay that, take care of that for you. And he pays for the whole lot. And Brian looks back at his brothers, like that. And his brothers are just apparently shaking their heads with disgust, thinking, you have no shame. How could you do that kind of thing? But secretly, I'm sure they were wishing in their hearts, you know, man, I wish we'd thought of doing that. But when he recounted the story, I thought to myself, this is a son who's, who knows what it means to be provided for by his father. And his expectation is, that's who I am. And that's who my father is. This young son, I think, knew who his father was. He knew his father was generous. He knew his father was kind. I mean, he was bold enough to go to his dad and say, will you give me my inheritance, which in that culture was the worst insult you could deliver. He was confident enough in his father's character and nature, in his father's love, that he was willing to do that and ask and know that he would be given what he asked for. So here he is in this place not being satisfied, and he decides to turn back and go home because he knows who his father is. His identity comes from that place, that home that he left, and he realized that looking for it outside of that would never provide satisfaction. The older son 
thought he knew he, who he was. The younger son wanted to discover who he was outside of his home life. The older son thought he knew who he was. He thought that he could determine his identity by what he did. Outside of relationship with his father, he just figured, I can work. I can prove that I deserve to be the firstborn, that I deserve to inherit everything by what I do. Follow the rules. Make sure that I secure my position with my father. And it's interesting because I was that firstborn. I was exactly like him. My whole life is, was one long story of trying to prove to my father that I was worth being the, his firstborn. My whole life was all about not doing anything wrong. I was the quintessential good girl. My brothers were the quintessential younger sons. They did all that other stuff, and I never did anything wrong. My motivation was, I can prove that I am worth this position of firstborn. I can do this. I can get the grades. I can perform well. I can get the, the praise and the approval of my teachers. I can, I can do this. I can do this. And every time I'd be looking at my earthly father, waiting for that affirmation. But of course, I was looking at the wrong father. Because he could never give it to me, and he never did. Those of you who know my story know that um, he rejected me on the day that I was born because I wasn't a boy. And when he died five years ago, I was the only one left out of his will. So I never got my father's approval, my earthly father's approval. So all that work, all that need, all that drive, all that pursuing of, of, of proving was useless because I didn't attain what I was looking for, the affirmation of my identity. Oh, we don't have that one anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's okay. Um, uh, I just want to look in. So we've got these two sons, one who thinks he can find his identity outside of his home life. And then we have this other son who thinks he already knows his identity, but it's separate from his father. This morning, it was really clear to me from God that what he wanted to um, impart was to stir up the church to know who you are and where it comes from. Where it comes from. Because so often we get our identity, and this is one of the aspects of my ministry in Germany, is that the German church, the German nation, very much gets its identity from what it does. They're, very, they're known for being hard workers. Uh, they work long hours and everything is about performance and, and, and what they do. But what happens is when you get your identity from what you do, there's no room for failure. There's no opportunity for you to back down in any way because everything about who you are is wrapped up in what you do. What if you get an injury? What if someone else is better at what you do than what you do? The source of your identity comes from God alone. Yeah. He created you individually and perfectly. And 
how he made you and who he made you to be is exactly who you need to be for this moment in time. And seeking outside of his identity, of the stamp he's put on you, is not going to satisfy you. No matter what you do, no matter the people you hang around with, the choices you make, the job you get, the weight you gain, the weight you lose, the grades you get in school, the, the money that you make, none of it will ever be able to satisfy the stamp of identity that God has put in you. Any more than going out and thinking, okay, I will just be right. I come to church every Sunday and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen and I'm going to take notes and I'm going to have my Bible or my Bible app and I'm going to do what needs to be done to prove that I am worthy of being called a child of God. The son, when his father came out to him and said, son, come on and celebrate with him, he was angry. He was angry because he felt hard done by. I've done this, I've done that. He wasn't thinking about the nature of his father, the kindness and the compassion that was being exhibited by his father toward the brother. All he could think about was, I did X, Y, and Z, and I don't feel as though it's been recognized because his identity was based in what he did. And he didn't feel that he had access It's a very interesting thing to me that he said, you've never once killed a goat and had a party for me. When I was reading this, I heard uh, the Spirit of God in me and he said, it was, it was that scripture that Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. And I remember thinking, okay, Lord, where's the connection in here? What is the connection that you want me to make with this? And I thought, as believers, so often we're living in one identity, looking outside of God, or the other identity, trying to earn God's approval and, and, and sense of being. And God is saying, there's rooms in my house for you to access. Everything I have is yours, just like he said to the older son. You're always here. You're my child. Every room is open to you. Yeah. But he never went in the kitchen. He lived in this house, he lived in this tent, whatever it was back then, with many rooms, bathing rooms, bedrooms, dining areas, social spaces, and of course a huge kitchen. He never went in the kitchen. Why did he not access the rooms that he had access to? And the kitchen is the place where you get your nourishment. The kitchen is the place that is full of tools that can help you to cook food, to prepare the food that God has for you. It's the place where you get this, the flavors. Why did he never go in there? He had access. Why do we never go in there? We're children of the living God. He is our Father. But sometimes we live our entire Christian life not going into the rooms that God has for us. The room of supply. Do you have a financial need? 
yeah, but God expects this from me. I have to do it this way. And God is saying, sweetheart, just push open the door. Come on in. Everything I have is yours. What about healing? Well, I tried that. It didn't work. Well, you didn't go in, did you? You just kind of stood at the door and wondered what's behind there. In my house, there are many rooms, yeah. many rooms. Yeah. And the father says, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. But are you going to be operating from that place of identity that says, I'm doing all the right things. If I pray this prayer, if, if I come to church every Sunday, if I do it this way, God has to come through for me. God is saying, my identity, everything that I am, is enough for you. You don't need to prove anything to me. You don't need to look outside of me to get it. You can fail like the younger son. It won't change my acceptance. You can misunderstand my character and my nature. You can get angry with me and you can call me all sorts of things. It won't change. I love you. Everything I have is yours. Could you put up the next scripture, Galatians? God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, so that he would redeem and set free all those held hostage to the law, so that we would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. And so that we would know for sure that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, Father, you are our true father. So now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. We can access everything our father has because we're heirs of God through Jesus. There's no room for work here. There's no room for performance. There, there's no place for us to say, but I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to look elsewhere. God is saying, hey, I've done it. I've done it all. I have adopted you into my family. You belong to me. And because you're my kids, you have access to everything. You have access to everything, church. There's nothing that you can do to deserve what it is that you think you need from God. He's already done it all. He's done it all and he's saying, it's yours. Why don't you push open the door and go right on into the kitchen? Get what you need from me. But somehow we stand there thinking it's too easy. There's got to be a hitch. I have to do this. I have to be out in the field working, slaving, is what the older brother said. I have to be performing somehow. Or maybe we just don't think we deserve it like the younger son. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've done all this stuff. I have so many regrets, Father. I've sinned. I've been doing this. And he's saying, no, that's not the case because you're judging me by your own false identity by who you've determined you are, not by who I've said you are. Could you put up the next verse as well from Romans? And again, he says, you didn't receive the spirit of religious duty. 
That was me. Even though I didn't know Jesus until I was 19, growing up in my home, I was religious about being a good girl. You didn't receive that spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Performance, performance, performance. What do I have to do to get God to come through for me? What do I have to do to have him answer this prayer? What do I have to do? He's saying, you didn't get that spirit of duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance. Yeah enfolding you into the family of God, enfolding you into the family of God. You will never feel orphaned. That's what I was. I was orphaned. You will never feel orphaned because as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father, beloved father, for Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. The indwelling presence of the spirit of God makes it real this revelation of who God is, he makes it real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you're God's beloved child. You really are. You are his sons. You are his daughters. You are his beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share in all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. Do you see that, church? You qualify, not by anything you did, but because of what he did. And the Spirit of God this morning wants to remind you of who you are, not because of what you've sought, not because of what you did, not because you're sitting here in church like good people on a Sunday morning, but because God has made a way through Jesus. And he says, I'm adopting all of you. It's done. It's accomplished. You don't have to do anything. It's already happened. You belong to me. You are my sons and daughters. And all my treasures are available to you. So why is it that the church is not seeing that on a regular basis? I really believe that the need for identity is the number one thing that stands in the way of the church walking in signs and wonders. Because when you don't believe who you are, then you can't believe that God would ever use you to do any of the wonderful things that you want to see done. So while I have spent this time talking about our individual identity, and the two sons and how they were wrestling with who they were. The reality is that we will never really understand who we are until we understand who he is. My whole life, my identity flowed from my relationship with my earthly dad. I was so much like him in personality and in looks and so on, and I just never understood why I couldn't please him, why he didn't accept me, why he didn't affirm me. But he was human just like I am. He didn't have inside him a sense of his own identity. So how in the world could he imprint to me identity? 
It was the blind leading the blind. And that's the case with all of us. No matter how great our earthly fathers and mothers are, nobody will ever be able to set the standard, the benchmark, like God does. And he gives you the freedom to choose that identity. Last year, I can't remember the last time I preached here, um, but last year I remember preaching a message and, um, and God had given me this specific word and it's the same true today as it was then. And he said, today God, the, the real you is putting a demand on the you that you have become. Today, the real you is putting a demand on the you that you have become. The identity that you have slipped into, the one that says, I can be this person I choose to be, this person I've made myself to be, this person I've worked hard to be. And God is saying, there's a real you. There's a you I created you to be. And it doesn't take work. It doesn't take work. What it takes is accepting that God made you and that's all that you need is just, Daddy, I accept it. I accept it. But you need to know who he is. You need to know the heart of your father before you can accept the beauty of who he's made you to be. In order to fully understand who you are, you must grasp and accept who he is. He is the Father who loves you without exception. He is the Father who has said, no matter what you've done, I take you in. He is the Father who says, I have good plans for you, plans that will bring you a future and a hope. He is the Father who says, I want you to succeed in everything you put your hands to. He is the Father who says, ask, and you will receive that your joy will be full You need to know who your father is in order to know who you are. Push the door open and come into the kitchen. Push the door open because everything he has is yours. Do you want to pop up the last verse? Father said, son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. And the next one, Andy. And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Church, you have got to have the right image of your father. I can tell you as someone who was rejected her whole life by her earthly dad, that when I understood who God the Father really was, it transformed my life. I didn't need to perform anymore. Do you know, and I, I know Barry knows this, and maybe some of the others, when I first, I mean, I've been teaching for, for 25 years plus, 
But when I first started actually preaching outside of Kesed on campus stuff, but preaching from the pulpit, it was the most stressful thing. I would spend, he knew, he knew he had to give me like a month notice at least because the studying that went into it, books, copious amounts of reading and pages and pages of notes, pages and pages of notes. And then I'd edit it down. And then the week before I'd edit it down again. And the stress, I'd be up to like two o'clock in the morning beforehand, the stress of getting it exactly right. And then I'd come up here with six pages of notes and. But when I understood who my daddy was, I accepted who he made me to be. It was like, okay, you really have anointed me to preach to the nations, to Germany in particular. And if that's who you made me to be, then I guess, I guess I'm good enough to do what you've made me to be. And now I'm down to one little page. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even really look at them. <laughs> when you accept who the Father is, you can then dare to believe who he's made you to be. And when you dare to believe who he's made you to be, nothing's impossible. Because if God is for you, who can stand against you? And no man can close the doors that God will open for you. He will cause you to ride upon the high places. He will give you feet like the feet of a deer to ride on those high places. He will bring peace. He will bring a sense of knowing at last that you're good enough. Just who you are, you're good enough. This morning, could I, if I could get everybody to stand, please. I know that there are um, people here this morning that this has been a wrestle with you for your whole lives. Um, that accepting that you are good enough in whatever way that means, good enough for this job, good enough for this partner, good enough to, to have this prayer answered, that this, this feeling of not being enough. And God is saying to you, I need you to take your eyes off trying to determine your own identity and just focus on who I am because I've already given you an identity. You just need to discover it. This morning, I want you to uh, just shut out all the, the distractions around you, close your eyes if that helps, and I want you to just picture yourself in the throne room of God. The Bible says that you can come boldly before him in that throne room. It sounds like some... Um, big and serious thing, but it's not. He's your daddy. And you can come in there with absolute confidence. Just walk right up to him. Walk right up to him there. And in your heart, just imagine yourself in whatever way you need to imagine in your relationship with this father. Maybe you didn't have a great earthly dad and the idea of going up to God as a father is a tough one for you. 
But I want you to just imagine yourself walking up to him and, and asking him to stamp his identity on your hearts. If this morning you are saying, I just need to know God as my father, I want to pray for you. Uh, if you want to just quickly slip your hand up and then I will pray for you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Father, I see, you see who these, these people are this morning. And Father, you know the struggles that they have been um, experiencing, their sense of identity, the vulnerability that they have had. In the name of Jesus, I just release over you the spirit of sonship. The spirit of sonship. Holy Spirit, will you, will you come on each one of these people that have raised your hands and, and would you draw up from the inside of them, the deep wells inside of them, that spirit of sonship, that they will know that you have called them my name, that you have adopted them into your family, that they will feel accepted by you. I just release that spirit of sonship over each one of you. This morning, if you are here and you actually have never experienced God as your father, you don't know, you've never asked Jesus and said, you know what, I want a relationship with you. I want to know what it is like to walk in confident identity. If you want to say, God, I want a relationship with you. I want a personal relationship with you, Jesus. If you're here this morning and you want to be a part of that family of God, please just lift up your hand. And I want to lead you in a prayer that just says, I want to have that relationship with God. Thank you, G. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Church, I'd like you all to pray, pray together with these people who've raised their hands as I, as I lead them in this prayer. Father, I come to you. Everybody out loud. Father, I come to you. And I thank you that I am yours. I'm sorry that I've avoided you. That I've run away from you. Or that I've denied you even exist. Today I say I believe in you. Come into my life and put your stamp of sonship on my heart. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church.